0: This is Talkback Gardening with Troy Sincox on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and
1: Broken Hill. It most certainly is. Good morning, Troy Simcock filling in for Deb Tribe. She'll be back on Saturday mornings on Christmas Eve, December 24 and gardening expert John Lamb is here by my side. Hi John.
2: Good morning, Troy and good morning, gardeners. Particularly if you're a gardener that's growing your own vegetables and uh, uh, doing it yourself. We'll be talking vegetables in a fair amount of detail very, very shortly because it's been a tough season. Spring has been not kind to vegetable growers and the person who's going to help us get the true potential of our uh, our fruit and our vegetables and our vegetables in particular is Dominic Cavallaro. He's an independent uh, uh, horticultural agronomist uh, working in the Virginia area and he will talk about how to get your vegetables and what you can grow, what you perhaps need to replace and all those kind of things. So uh, he loves answering gardening questions. So w- once we've introduced him in a few seconds, uh, uh, we'll open up the lines, Troy, and people can try to talk to Kevilla, uh, to Dominic. Uh, later, we will we'll also just take a look at urban agriculture. What's it all about? And there's a survey being carried out by the University of Adelaide and Hannah Thrace who's a, a PhD student, uh, is heading the team. And she'll just explain why she wants you to be involved.
1: one three hundred triple two eight nine one. 891 if you'd like to be part of the program, particularly uh, if you have some vegetable questions. They're the ones we'll be addressing uh, first of all. Get in line, one 300 891 or SMS 0467-922-891. We'll always uh, take the calls first, so uh, take that action now. one three hundred triple two eight nine one 891 today in Adelaide Cloud. Clearing winds north to northwesterly, 20 to 20 kilometres an hour. Maximum of 35 with rain on the way tomorrow. And for our um, Broken Hill listeners, sunny winds northerly, 15 to 20 kilometres, becoming light in the morning, then becoming northeasterly, 15 to 20 kilometres in the late evening. Top of 31 and a sunny day ahead for you. It
0: magazine. Talk gardening with Troy Sincock on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia
1: and Broken Hill. And as John said, we're lucky this morning to be joined by independent horticultural consultant and vegetable specialist in Virginia, Dominic Cavallaro. Good morning, Dominic.
2: Good morning, Troy. Good morning, John. Dominic let's take a look at the season that's just past us it was cold it was wet it was cloudy there wasn't too much sun and there was lots of wind and it's not been the best from a vegetable garden growing point of view what's the effect of that kind of weather on our summer vegetables
3: Uh it's uh it's been a challenge and I think uh gardeners would be quite quite right in thinking that we're still in uh, in winter a few months ago and um so, you know, what tends to happen is the you know, seedlings um, are a bit slow to take off. Poor root growth uh, has uh, you know, quite a few crops have been affected, especially outside by disease, powdery mildew, black spot, because of the rains and the cloudy conditions. So, certainly has been a, a challenge for uh, for gardeners.
2: We often talk about soil temperatures and the importance of soil temperatures, and uh, suggest that. Some of vegetables shouldn't be planted until the soil gets to sixteen degrees. Um, and many people, uh, at the traditional time, the end of September, have uh, planted their tomatoes and their cucumbers and zucchinis, but the soil was at temperatures only about fourteen degrees. They've just sat there and they're sulking. Some of them have got, as you say, spots <laughs> and rots all over them. Should they pull them out and start all over again, or can you? Uh, 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 achieve a, a renaissance
3: well I think um, and, um, tomatoes in particular are pretty tough plants so as long as they haven't been affected by too much uh, disease and normally you'd sort of take the lower leaves off as a bit of disease on, on the leaves uh, as we're getting into warmer weather uh, tomatoes will recover quite well so uh, you may need to be a little bit ruthless on anything that looks a bit dodgy at the bottom but uh, they should recover the challenge will be if you did plant early, is that um, we normally would like a strong root system, and want to plant, you know, whether it's capsicums or tomatoes or cucumbers or zucchinis. We try and get a really strong root system to start with, before the plant fruits, and um, and and that gives us access to the soil and water that we put on them and the fertilizer, and sets the plant up for a, a good yield. What happens with a plant when it goes into a fruiting mode, it puts all its energy into the fruit and not so much into the roots. So if the roots are poor when you're going into a fruiting phase, then they'll actually always stay poor. So you'll tend to find that um, your yields won't be as good as what they would have been previously. So scratch around the roots in the so- in the potting mix or the soil and see what the roots are like. So they look nice and healthy, any sort of unhealthy leaves, especially at the bottom of tomatoes or uh, just sort of prune them off a little bit. Check the stems. Uh, there has been a lot of black spots, so if the stems are affected by the disease as well, and you can see it's a bit sunken and the stem might be a bit weak, then it might pay to replant. But if the stems look pretty good, uh, now that we're getting into warm weather, they should recover. pretty. So quickly.
2: it's all about that root system. If you believe there's a reasonable root system and you can uh, restore the plant, do it, but otherwise start all over again, that re- raises the next issue, uh, Dominic. Is it too late? It's now the beginning of September and uh, warm weather, hot weather maybe in January. So is it too late to plant? Uh, reasonable crops of uh, tomatoes, cucumbers, zucchinis, um, egg fruit, capsicum?
3: No, uh, generally, uh, things like um, uh, tomatoes, you know, you can actually turn a tomato planter over with good yields in about sort of five to six months. Capsicans do need a bit longer, uh, but you'll get a good first flush, and normally the first flush of um, capsicum are really good quality so I oh know I still I think it's worthwhile and certainly if looking at zucchinis and uh, cucumbers it's nice and warm now so uh, they'll, they'll sort of take off pretty quickly so uh, um, yeah no I think it's it's still still worth giving it a try and you know one of the advantages though we we'll, we'll have some heat over January and February um, but um, yeah, we also got mild conditions so that's favourable for fruit quality
1: It's ABC Talk Back Gardening We're joined by Dominic Cavallaro Independent Horticultural Consultant and Vegetable Specialist in Virginia If you'd like to have a word with Dominic and it's very clear the amount of expertise Dominic has give us a buzz right now you'll get through straight away one 300 891 or the SMS is 467
2: 891 So it's not too late to put in the popular tomatoes and Qs and zucchinis, there are vegetables, Dominic, that take a fair while to mature, things like uh, melons, pumpkins and melons uh, is it too late for them?
3: Uh, you are getting to the uh, sort of end part, but if um, you know if you 've got a favorite variety or something that um, you know you're prepared to maybe not not get a full crop but um, you know one or two melons from there then um, it'd be worthwhile
2: still. Give it a go, right So let's come now to the present. Um, People have got their tomatoes and cucumbers and zucchinis and they probably are flowering, but they're not as advanced as they would normally be at this time of the year. And the impulse is, I'll just give them a little bit of an elixir. I'll mix up some fertiliser and maybe where I'd normally give them a little bit, I'll give them a little bit extra. What's the consequences of that Happening to the plant.
3: Um, One one of the consequences are that the plant, when the ground does warm up, and and you are right, what we were talking about before, temperatures were quite low, and ideally we were looking for temperatures in the soil of eighteen to twenty degrees. Once those roots get going and they start picking up the fertiliser, the plant can go. The plant sort of says, "Oh, I'm in happy land, so I'll go vegetative, putting on a whole lot of leaf." And Not necessarily want to put on flowers or strong flowers. So you need to be a little bit careful, but you know, you sort of um, um, Seaweed mixes or kelps and those sort of things are not a bad thing, Like if you want to put something on to uh, You know, wake them up a little bit Then they're a really good way of just keeping the plant happy and getting the roots working with the fertilizer You already have in the soil.
2: So what kind of a fertilizer or elixir would you put on if you're going to use some?
3: um well, the, you know, the common brands are things like Sea salt the sort of kelps, and you can sort of spray that on or, you know, uh, put, put it through a, uh, a watering can and, and just put that on, on them. I tend to find that as long as you've got a good uh, base of uh, compost and a good base of fertiliser, the next time to actually put fertiliser on is when there's actually fruit. So normally, um, you know, gardeners are quite good. Also, you know, check for things of whether you need to put in lime or gypsum. Uh, Calcium is very important for strong root growth as well as for uh, uh, quality of the fruit. Uh, And once you start to see, you know, my rule of thumb is once you start to see the first tomato that's the size of a 20 cent piece, then you can actually then put on a sort of an MPK, you know, tomato mix type fertiliser or um, those sort of things around the base to start then feeding the bush and the, and the fruit.
2: I suspect if you were talking to your commercial growers, you'd be talking about using calcium nitrate and yes. potassium nitrate. Just why are those, what, what are they, how do they differ from perhaps the, your traditional fertilisers and why uh, are they probably effective?
3: Um, Most of our um, uh, home gardening type products have got NPK plus trace elements so they're a very good base and uh, a bit of a Uh, uh, one all as far as nutrients, but calcium is important. And what calcium nitrate and potassium nitrate do, the nitrate helps with the uptake of the potassium and calcium. So the calcium is important, as I said before, for root quality and fruit quality. And so taking that up sort of tends to regulate the growth. And calcium is good if you're, especially now you've got some fruit on there, but the tops aren't growing um, and you want a bit more vegetative growth, then a little bit of calcium nitrate might be worthwhile. Uh, but potassium is really important once you get halfway through the growth of your crop because potassium is what's uh, gives you the sort of flavours, the colours, um and and um the sweetness of your uh, of your fruit. So uh it tends to be necessary when you've you're looking at your crop and you've got a really good fruit load on there. Feed them with a bit of a potassium nitrate and that just helps size your fruit and make sure there's quality
1: there as well. Our special guest expert on ABC Talkback Gardening is Dominic Cavallaro, independent horticultural consultant and vegetable specialist in Virginia. You can speak directly with Dominic this morning, one three hundred Triple Two Eight Nine One and you'll get through straight away. One three hundred Triple Two Eight Nine One. First up is Dorothy, and you're looking to do some mulching, Dorothy.
0: Yes, I've got some old citrus leaves that I've sort of stacked up and I wonder if I can use that as mulch around the vegetables. Uh,
3: Yes, you can. Um, uh, One thing that's uh, useful when you're doing mulch is just add a bit of lime or a combination of lime and gypsum because that gives you a good source of um, calcium and also adjusts the pH. So uh, as long as it's sort of well composted um, and no ammonia coming through, that shouldn't be an issue.
0: Good, thank you. and the other thing I've got some snow peas. I'm picking them, but down the bottom, they look really healthy and I've got quite a lot of fruit on them, vegetables on them. um but down the bottom they've got some orangey brown leaves with you know few spots on them. Should I pull them off, or is that just the process of they' you know the way they go through it? <coughs>
3: Yeah, have they got spots on the leaf or have they just gone on yes, sort of you no, they've you got a eulogy? A few spots on
0: the leaf,
3: yeah. Yeah, so I think there's a bit of disease there. So it, first thing is to you know, just take those leaves off so you get rid of the source of the disease. And as long as it hasn't transferred to the rest of the plant, you should be
0: fine. Thank you very much.
1: John Lamb here with me this morning, and we're joined by Dominic Cavallaro, Independent Horticultural
2: Consultant and Vegetable Specialist in Virginia. Dominic, let's take a look at some of the spots and rots that affect plants. Dorothy had uh, little spots on her peas, but uh, but from my point of view, uh, the two big issues are often, when you get a wet season, uh, target spot and bacterial spot. Now could you just explain the difference between those two and 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 what to do if they do occur on on pe- people's particularly tomatoes
3: um, one is a fungal disease and one is a bacterial disease so okay the, so target spot uh, is the fungal is a fungal disease yep. now that and uh, uh, bacterial speck is a uh, bacterial disease now that's really important understanding the type of disease you've got there because it re- requires a different method of controlling it. So bacterial disease uh, is normally controlled by a copper spray. Uh, Now, copper sprays are very safe to use but are are preventative. So when you sort of see that we've got um, weather conditions like a lot of rain, a a copper spray is worthwhile. Things like um, um, uh, anthracnose or um, target spot, um, the best things there to slow it down is things like sulphur um, or um, uh, mancozeb, which you can buy from, from the nurseries.
2: Gardeners look at their tomato plants and there's a whole heap of different kind of spots and, and uh, markings on the plants. That bacterial spot is very, very important that uh, they get onto that one quickly. Could you just describe in a fair amount of detail what the, the bacterial spot looks like?
3: Um, so what it, it's um, it's a very the difference between the other diseases is a, a very dark in colour, and you'll see the spotting on the fruit, uh, stems of the uh, fruit on the um, uh, stems of the plants and on the leaves. So, uh, whereas target spot tends to be um, brown in colour, and if you actually have a look at the the disease you know, closely with a lens, you'll actually see those rings in where the disease are and that's why we call it a target spot because you can sort of see rings and it tends to be more of a browner, browner colour. So, um, uh, and, and target spot, you know, with the weather, uh, sorry, um, bacterial spot spec that we've had this year is, is actually for outside tomatoes been devastating as far as the, uh, it'll you only need one spot on the flower and that flower all bought, or the stems are damaged and um, so it's been really prevalent this year. Uh,
1: that's the voice of Dominic Cavalaro, our vegetable specialist. So if you have a vegetable question this morning, call us now. We've got Dominic for the next ten minutes. One three hundred triple two eight nine one. Jan is next. What's your question?
4: Oh, Jan, it's it's me, Jan. Just regarding the calcium and the potassium. But how much do we put on? Is it a teaspoon, a handful, a kilogram? What? How much do you put on um, the? Veg-
3: yeah, depending on. Yeah, normally a teaspoon. The, the, um, the bags that you buy actually have a measurement on there um, on how much to put out per square metre. So I'd actually go by that. But if you've only got a single part teaspoon, would be fine. And just put that around the base of the plant.
2: And potassium nitrate and calcium nitrate, not available at all kind of garden outlets. But if you go to a good garden centre and say, have you got it, uh, it's quite likely they will. But if they haven't got it, they will access it for you and uh, they're two products i think if you into summer vegetables they're two very valuable fertilizers just uh, to give them that extra little edge so you get your true potential
1: jan thank you very much for calling we'll head to salisbury now and Simo is there you've got a good idea for the grandkids but need some advice
0: uh, yeah i was on last week and the lady gave me some great advice just to plant a veggie garden for the kids like a summer garden um And we've dug it up, well I didn't dig it over I'm a cheat, I'm 67 so i got a rotary hoe and I've hoed it all over and it was, this place that I'm on was an ex-market garden so the soil is fantastic. So the advice I need, because they're down again today from Mandura, is I need five or six things to plant with them today that are going to survive because it's going to be pretty hot or what I need to do if I plant them today uh, because it's a grandad thing on weekends and so today's I'm limited today today and tomorrow to plant them and so I thought five or six things that John could give me some advice on please
3: a great idea to involve uh, grandkids um, because it's a good way of showing them that uh, uh, where veggies um, come from from plants um, I'd be looking at getting your ground ready today. So uh, even though it's old market gardening ground, good, you know, something like a composted cow manure or something like that incorporated into the um, into the soil. Um, you know, raise it a little bit and make a little bit of a well before you plant the uh, seedlings, so that you know the grandkids can get a watering can and and give them a really good uh, drink when they're planted. Make sure before you plant that. Um, you soak the seedlings in um, in, a, in some water. So the seedlings itself have got um, uh, a full of water because on a day like today, they'll dry out quickly. And obviously the roots haven't got into the soil. But, uh, you know, the weather we do have the, very quickly, you know, within three to four days, I'll start putting roots into that, you know, that uh, really nice market gardening soil and, uh, and take off. If they're around tomorrow, then the ideal thing would be to plant tomorrow because it's a bit cooler and you don't have that sort of uh, windy, uh, hot day today. To uh,
2: What's um, your five vegetables that might be so planted? Five
3: vegetables, uh, big tomatoes, um, uh, zucchinis, um, uh, capsicons are good at this time of the year now, um, cucumbers, uh, and possibly... Um,
2: lettuce. What about some lettuce? lettuce? Yeah, yeah lettuce non-harding nice. lettuce, probably depending on whether the kids like eating silver beet. It's tough as anything, and put those in as little seedlings. Um, yes. And maybe uh, plant some pea seeds so that uh, they put them in the ground, they don't see them, and probably when they come back uh, uh, in a few weeks' time to see Simo, oh, look, see what's happening.
3: And zucchinis uh, can be planted by seed as well this time of year, so that's another good option to
1: come back later and see them grow. Off to Port Lincoln now, Terry. You have a fertilizer question.
0: Dominic, you were mentioning potassium nitrate as a fertiliser. I've got sulphate of potash. Are they the same? Is there any difference in how you use them? Uh,
3: sulphate of potash is another option if um, if you've got really good vegetative growth and you're not looking for the nitrogen, potassium sulphate is another option to actually put into the soil and incorporate. Uh, normally, I would probably be recommending you know, potassium sulphate this time of year because we've, we would have had a normal spring and everything's growing really well. But we need to sort of push the growth a little bit when there's fruit on there because we don't have uh, Mother Nature on our side. So uh, if that's all you've got, then uh, just combine that with... Um, Uh, calcium nitrate, and um, and that'll still serve the same role. The nitrate and the calcium will help with the potassium uptake and the potassium
2: sulphate. Dominic, for those that probably are well-advanced in growing vegetables, the difference between a sulphate and and, and a a nitrate, you've got potassium sulphate and a potassium nitrate. What's the difference in form, and and why is that important?
3: Uh, The sulphate is more slow-releasing, so uh, uh, it's a good... um, Uh, fertilizer to use uh, when you've got uh, uh, fertilizer that you want to sort of be available over a period of time whereas potassium nitrate is is readily taken up so it's a good product to actually use when you want to put it on you know sort of frequently once or two or three times during the growth of the crop whereas potassium sulfate you can sort of put that out and uh, it's a slow release
2: and the nitrate probably could be sprayed on and go in as a yes. folio, whereas the other yes. ones are in the soil and sort of get converted slowly by the microbes. Exactly, yes. Yep. Yep.
1: Vegetable specialist Dominic Cavallaro joining us. John Lamb and Troy Sincock here. Talk back gardening at Tennyson. Doreen, you were talking onions with us.
0: I'm talking onions, yes. I was fascinated with the idea of you plant an onion, which looks like a shallot, but you put it in and it divides itself off into about three decent-sized onions which I could use now it's grown a central one up with I think they call them a bowl and it's a fluffy it's got all the seeds probably in the top like a ping pong ball this white now does it just sort of bend over and the whole thing (laughs) seed and go along from there like that or do I have to cut it off and repot it or what?
2: Doreen, it came from outer space.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: no, take it away, Dominic.
3: Um, yeah, so what's happened is that that uh, particular bulb's gone to flower and what you'll find is that, and it's actually influenced by day length and temperature. So um, so all those seeds, um, uh, that's how um, seed breeders actually breed their next um, lot of um, uh, onions. So they'll keep that seed for for future, but you'll tend to find that the onion or the bulb that it's coming from won't be all that uh, nice because it'll have that sort of stalk through the centre. But the other bulbs around it should be okay. So uh, yeah, it's it's common when you, this time of year when we've got um, variation in temperatures, uh, you know, and also day length affects it.
1: Good luck with that, Doreen. Jane from Murray Bridge. What would you like to put on your veggie garden? <laughs>
0: good morning pigeon manure we have and i've heard that i can use that on my tomatoes
3: yes you can just be a be careful of it being fresh um um pigeon tomato uh, sorry pigeon manure can have a high ammonia content so um you know the rule of thumb is to try and compost a little bit um, and um, ideally pigeon manure if you can actually prepare the beds well and advanced with uh, pigeon manure into your soil and let it break down and release that nitrogen or ammonia and, and not have that but uh, just yeah it's it's a very 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 good fertilizer but it is quite strong in ammonia so just be careful
2: yeah and one other point if you're using pigeon manure is wear a mask because of uh, health uh, risks uh, there are dust things that come out of the dust which uh, can end up with pretty nasty kind of things so yeah uh, brilliant fertilizer but uh, yeah just use with care Our climatologist uh, Darren Ray is suggesting in the middle of January we're going to get some extreme heat and uh, you have been and your team of agronomists have been suggesting to me for many, many years John, do what the commercial growers do and protect their plants with shade cloth particularly uh, 50% white shade cloth First of all, why... shade cloth. Why the value of shading your, the benefits of, of shade cloth uh, when you're getting heat wave conditions?
3: Um, no, that's a really good question John. Uh, the white is important because it actually helps reflect the heat and, um, and what we tend to find is that as you'll see today we've got a nice and we've got you know, nice temperatures of 35, 36 degrees and a northerly breeze so that wind tends to dry the plants out a little bit and um, uh, what your listeners may or may not be aware of is that during conditions like this uh, the plants will actually uh, not only take water from the soil but also from the fruit but at that at night they'll actually replace it. Now if we the idea of putting shade cloth on there is just to limit the effects of wind and the plants drying out so they're not having to take um, you know too much water from the soil and keep up with you know, uh, transpiration or just cooling the leaf down, and um, uh, the other thing is that the shade cloth just increases the humidity slightly. And tomatoes tend to like a humidity around about 40 to 70% humidity. So by putting that there, you'll just sort of have a little microclimate around the tomatoes where they'll just be a lot happier and uh, be able to cope. The other thing is that when temperatures get above 32 degrees. Um, the plants start to shut down and stress out. So, again, shade cloth will tend to manage temperature, humidity, the effects of wind, and not stress your plants out.
2: We're familiar with the fact that if you uh, it's hot, the leaves get hot and uh, they can't transpire fast enough. But uh, just very, very briefly, the effect of shade cloth on protecting the roots.
3: Um, yeah, it's the same effect there, that once the temperatures get too hot, in the soil, then um, the roots actually start to die off, and uh, what we tend to see is that you'll get um, um, uh, diseases like um, secondary diseases like Pythium coming through. Uh, that's more obvious in uh, potted uh, plants, and especially you'll see that on the sunny side of um, of the pot. Uh, so if it gets a lot of the sun, you'll see that side will have uh, damaged roots. The other side, not so much. So you know. Sometimes I've just told gardeners, just put a bit of shade cloth around the pot um, and not try and avoid using a black pot um, just to sort of stop that um, getting too hot. So... Uh Roots are a bit fussier than the the leaves when it comes to soil temperature.
2: Time is going to beat us, Dominic, so I need to get you back maybe talking about vegetables in containers and certainly later at the end of this tomato growing season we'll be carrying out our annual uh, tomato survey and again maybe I could borrow you again uh, uh, so you can take a look at the survey information that comes in from the growers and some wise comments at that particular stage.
1: Yeah, happy to help out, John. You're in demand, Dominic. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Your expertise has been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Talk Back Gardening with Troy Singcock on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia. And, broken
1: hill. and in the next 15 minutes, we'll be speaking to PhD student Hannah Thwaites uh, in charge of a major survey of people living in Adelaide to identify their attitudes to urban agriculture. And I've got a couple of uh, talkback, oh, sorry, a couple of Gardening Australia magazines to give away. Not right now, but in the next 15 minutes. So stay by the phone if you'd like to get one of those. one 300 891 Down at Victor, it's Laurie. What's your question, Laurie?
0: Good morning. John, I need advice for Christmas, please. I have two great-granddaughters who are sisters aged six and four, and I want to give them a tree plant for Christmas each. So that they can care for them together Become environmentally aware of trees And care for the tree and eventually plant it in the garden And be able to, in years to come to say That was my tree Could you help me please What would I look to buy
2: uh, You're going to have these plants growing in containers or uh, Yes,
0: in-, in containers for them to care for Until in the time comes to plant it out
2: Yes, well, I think uh, you would need something that doesn't grow too big. Uh, yes,
0: I thought that, yes. <laughs> uh,
2: I think so, one, the first one would be uh, a lily pilly, but not a great big lily pilly tree, but just a small one. Um, they uh, and You can find dwarf ones. And I think they are very attractive because as they grow, they'll produce uh, new tip growth all the time. And also, you might find uh, uh, it, you, you get little pimples on the leaves, and it's an opportunity to explain a little insect, a little lurp that gets stuck <laughs> into the leaves. And uh, uh, so, you don't want sort of something that's going to look pristine or tall, something that actually will come down with a, a bit, little bit of a problem. Um, and then the other one, it depends on how. T- Tall, do you want it? Um, have you got a particular size in, in, in Suburban, lo- yes. Y- yes. Um, oh, goodness gracious. Um, I would just go for something like. A, a Do you want a a tall tree or just a a bush type?
0: Well, I don't think so. I think just, you know, whatever suburban, you can't judge um, what it's going to be, but something that is always going to be there and be able to say, that's my tree and it's not too big, yes.
2: Yes, well, I would go for uh, a a, a native plant if you possibly could. Uh, I'd love to do that, yes. It's a very, very tough little plant and it's called a Westringia. Wastringia. How do you spell that? please? Uh, righto. It's W E S W E S T. Yeah, Yeah, R I N G E A. Westringia. It's probably look at uh, the n- lo- name for it is uh, local uh, is native rosemary. Um, it has. Lots of uh, little uh, rosemary coloured, or not they're not coloured, uh, rosemary scented, but uh, the blue flowers on them, and uh, they appear almost uh, throughout the year. Uh, it's just a small and durable little plant, and so one goes upright and the other one grows sideways, so that they're not competing with each other, but uh, they can compare just how they grow. And uh, you can know, just get them to watch and how they, the plants produce a structure. One will produce a central. Uh, trunk and side branches whereas the other one will have lots of little side branches all the time and how uh, those little side branches actually uh, uh, where the leaves form on the branch structure and then if it gets attacked by a little insect well then you've got another little lesson coming up.
1: Thanks very much for your call Laurie and a great idea to include the grandkids and give them the joy of gardening in their future. Uh, We have a call from Meg. How's your uh, moth orchid going Meg?
4: Dying very well, thank you. I I don't know how to look after it. I I want some advice on how to look after it, because I don't know whether, I think I'm underwatering it. Uh, it It's got two main stalks, and each of them had uh, six buds, but one of the stalks, all the buds have died, and I don't know what I'm doing.
2: Did the buds open before they died? Pardon? Did the buds open up and flower? Did it flower before the buds? Oh, opened? no. Right. Okay. No, this, it sounds like you're over-watering, and they're a plant that doesn't like to be over-watered. It's Achilles' heel is too much water. So uh, presumably it's in a little small container? Uh,
4: it, it was when it was first bought, and but I trans- uh, planted it into a, which is actually a cutlery drain, and it's got lots of holes in it, and it's uh, stainless stainless, So it's
2: getting plenty of air, but maybe that's
4: the wrong
2: container. Yeah, the best thing you could have done was leave it in a small container. Moth orchids don't like to be put uh, a small plant in a large uh, container uh, because the soil around it will go sour and affect the root system. Um, Okay, well you've got a big problem there. The important thing is to keep it on the dry side. Uh, So wait until the topsoil is absolutely uh, bone dry before you water it again. Then I would dunk the whole plant in a a, a, a container and and soak the whole lot and let it drain and then bring it back inside. Um, It needs to be inside. It needs to be in very, very strong light. And in terms of temperature, if you're happy, it's happy. It doesn't like very high temperatures. Be careful of uh, air conditioning. If you've got the air conditioner on, make sure it's not uh, getting air blowing over the the, the plant itself. But if you keep it in good light, don't overwater it. Um, It it doesn't need very much attention at all.
1: Thanks for your call, Meg. Let's hope we can get that uh, moth orchid back and thriving once again. Out at Ross Trevor, David, your uh, fig leaves are going yellow.
2: Uh, Yes, good morning, John. Good morning, Troy. Uh, Three-year-old fig in a large pot uh, last season had lots of fruit. This season, lots of lovely green leaves and even more fruit. But uh, I noticed that the leaves were starting to go yellow and they had a brown, crispy edge, and uh, they've started falling off. So I asked the local uh, garden centre, and they said... um, I should say that I've been regularly feeding it and watering it except when it rained um, and they said apply some um, mankazeb, spray it and also give it a light feed with power feed and uh, it should be okay. Well, the leaves are still doing that to an extent. I'm wondering, am I impatient or am I doing the wrong thing? Um, yes, okay, so it's in the container, and has it been repotted at all, or is it still no. in So it's, uh, it's three yeah. years in the one container without uh, repotting. You might find that uh, it's root-bound. I would suggest not today, tomorrow, when it's cooler. Uh, take it uh, outside or, or tip it upside down and see if you can't get the container away from the root system. and Have a good look, and I bet your boots uh, it's root-bound. The roots are going round. Vigorous uh, Figs are lovely plants. In a container, uh, you'll find that uh, because they are vigorous at the top, they're also vigorous at the bottom where the roots are growing, and you'll find that if it's root-bound... Uh, It's taken up. The roots are taking up all the area, and this uh, it's pushing the soil away, and it's probably used up all the nutrients. Um, So, if you're going to put it back in the container, the best thing to do is cut off all the roots going around the root ball and then put it into a larger container if you possibly can with good quality uh, potting mix and uh, put it in a shady position where it gets good light but no sunlight for at least the first three weeks. And then once uh, it's got back into new growth, you can put it back into its normal location.
1: David, thank you for your call at Tranmere. John, what's your uh, question for John?
0: Oh, good morning, uh, Troy and John. Um, I've had some beautiful uh, Hippiastrum uh, flowers come on this year and uh, I've got some nice big fat seeds and I'd like to know how I can uh, y- use the seeds to uh, create some new bulbs right.
2: So the seeds are mean? from last season's flowers or... Are, are no, f- no this current just current season. Just current season, right? Yes. Um, and uh, I would be putting them in a little brown paper bag. Well, it doesn't matter what colour bag, <laughs> I don't suppose, but <laughs> what you want to do is keep the seeds dry and uh, write on the, the, the packet uh, or the, the wherever you got them uh, what it is and put it somewhere where you won't forget them and bring them out in autumn. So if you keep well, them okay. on the dry side now... And plant them in autumn and just plant them as though you were planting a pea or a bean or something like that. Put it into a a container, um, you know, five or six centimetre wide container and put uh, a couple of, maybe three seeds uh, uh, and bury them The the thickness of the seed below the surface and you'll find that if you plant them then they'll just uh, in, in, do that in early autumn um, you'll find that uh, uh, they should start to grow and in springtime they should take off and a couple of years later you'll have hippie flowers.
1: Thank you John ABC Radio Adelaide it's John Lamb with Troy Simcock Talkback Gardening and we have next Simeon. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. What would you? Good. What's your question for John?
3: Yeah, I have a hydrangea in a pot. I've had it for a number of years now, and the leaves are turning or uh, They got spots on them and
2: sort of a silver, uh, yeah, silver finish to them. They don't look very healthy. So how long's it been in the pot there, Simon? Uh, I've had it in this pot probably a good five years, maybe. Right, and it hasn't been repotted. No. Yeah, I think that's what's, uh, it's needed. Uh, I wouldn't be doing it now. It, it, has no, it got flower it. buds on it? And, uh, uh, no, no, I haven't had flowers actually for about two or three years now. So all you've got is leaves? Yeah. Right, uh, well now's the time to repot. Again, as we were suggesting uh, earlier on to John, I would be uh, uh, taking the uh, plant, uh, the container off the root ball, take a good look at it can, and if it's uh, root bound, remove those root systems and put it back into a larger container if you possibly can. You could put it back into the same container but uh, that'll give you a, a bit of a bonsai effect um, and then make sure it's going back into good quality potting mix The important thing is when you're repotting uh, at this time of the year is, is to put the plant in shade and in Good light but shade uh, for at least A couple of weeks so it, it has time To re-establish and then uh, Well hydrangeas you're not going to put them Out in the sun anyway but I think A repotting with good uh, potting Mix is uh, going to be the answer For you.
1: Thanks for your call Simeon To Glenelg East Joe your questions about lawn Yeah hi Can you
4: hear me? Yes um, I've uh, Sorted out some lawn from some leftover in my front yard and I've got about 20 centimetre squares about 30 centimetres apart, a uh, nice, nice mix of uh, sandy loam in between, like a top dress. what do I use for fertiliser to help it spread?
2: You can buy lawn fertiliser, and it's blended specifically for lawns. What you want is something that's got uh, a fair amount of nitrogen in it, very small amount of phosphorus, and a very high amount of uh, potash. So you'll find on the packet it'll have N P and K. The N is the nitrogen. You want something around about. uh, It should have a uh, round about a ten for that. And the P is the phosphorus, and you need probably only two or three uh, for the symbol there. And when it gets to the K, uh, that's the potash. And that needs about 10. So a, a 10 to 10 uh, is a good kind of a blend. You'll find variations on a theme, but uh, that's ideal for a lawn. 10 to 10. Oh, beautiful.
1: Thank you. Good on you, Joe. Thanks for calling. It's Talk Back Gardening. John Lamb here taking your calls on 1300 222 Now, next, we're going to catch up with a PhD student, uh, Hannah Thwaites, in charge of a major survey of people living in Adelaide to identify their attitudes to urban agriculture. But now, if you haven't won a um, gardening... Australia magazine for the last three months or really want anything on the station for that matter we'd invite you to call now we've got two Gardening Australia magazines to give away so give us a buzz 1-300-222-891 and we'll pick two calls at random mm.
0: Talk back Gardening with Troy Sincock on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill.
1: Yes, Troy Sincock for Deb Tribe. She's back on Christmas Eve, December 24, hosting Saturday mornings. Um, for the next couple of weeks, though, she'll be presenting Afternoons. I've got John Lamb here with me, the ABC Gardening Expert, and we have another guest, John.
2: Yes, Hannah Thrates is a PhD student at the uh, Adelaide University, and she's investigating community attitudes towards urban agriculture. Culture. Urban agriculture, what's that? Well, Hannah will explain very, very shortly, but she wants to uh, know how you feel about growing your own produce, of joining community uh, organisations and uh, other related things to urban agriculture. So let's say good morning to Hannah. G'day, Hannah. What are you trying to achieve okay. with the survey?
4: Good morning. Thank you for having me, John and Troy. Um, My research is looking at whether growing food at home and also sharing the harvest, knowledge and space can create stronger communities in the face of climate change. So what we've discovered, there's a serious lack of research on the importance of urban agriculture and COVID has shown us in order to survive and thrive we need resilient food systems. As part of that we need resilient communities. It's not just about self-sufficiency but community sufficiency and we believe that urban agriculture is one way of achieving that.
2: It's certainly a sound concept uh, but Mm. what kind of information are you looking at specifically?
4: Yeah, so we're really looking at um, trying to understand from people what their practices and perceptions are um, towards growing food at home but also sharing the harvest and whether or not community connections can be built in that process or are being built and then whether that then can translate into growing resilient communities who are facing the impacts or experiencing the impacts of climate change.
2: Okay, so if you're involved in growing your own, obviously you want to hear from those kind of people uh, what they're growing and uh, and maybe uh, an opportunity for them to say, well, look, I could grow them even better if we had these kind of services or this kind of information.
4: Absolutely, yes. So through a community survey that we've got open now, we're really trying to understand are there... Barriers and challenges for people who want to grow or are growing, and what supports might they need to overcome that?
2: And many people are looking at uh, getting beyond their own garden and getting involved in community gardens or even neighbouring gardens.
4: Yeah, we've got some great examples in Adelaide that have either that are here or have begun here. So Joe's connected garden up in the north—that's a, a type of connected gardening where people have taken down their fences or installed gates to share their backyard space. And then we've got grocery free carts that have popped up all over the place to allow people to share their produce. Even if they don't know people, they can pop their excess on those carts. It's a great way of creating community from the home gardens.
2: And I often wander around the streets of Campbelltown (laughs) looking at people's gardens. And uh, I love gardening and I have a small garden and I'd love to be able to maybe grow vegetables but I don't have the space and I go past a garden and it was obviously an Italian gardener and it probably had a lovely garden but probably uh, uh, at this stage doesn't want to get involved with garden. Maybe uh, joining those two together might be a good idea.
4: Absolutely and there's, there's some communities I've noticed that um, online has really helped um, whether through social media or other means but there are definitely ways that people are trying to reach out to those people who, who would like to but can no longer together with people who don't have the space but would like to and so I'm hoping that this research can help to foster that and to get that information out there to individuals communities but also policy makers so we can find ways to connect people better
2: some people don't want to get involved in urban agriculture do you want to hear from them
4: absolutely absolutely i think i mean we all realize that we've all got diverse skill sets and we want to make sure that we're capturing um the views of everyone and it's just as important for us to understand why people aren't interested or perhaps why they've tried and they're choosing not to try again, is it that, there that there's something that's stopping them that perhaps um, could be changed and with this research we'll have that knowledge and then we'll be able to pass that along um, and engage policy makers or community groups or other needs uh, to help people if they like it and if not, it might be just that um, they want to enjoy the harvest and that's okay too.
2: The important thing is how do they become involved? How can they join and put their information into the survey?
4: Yeah, thank you. So anyone in Adelaide is welcome to come along to a website, soilecology.org. On there, there'll be a link to the online survey, which is... 15 minutes approximately and it's anonymous so you can write what you want <laughs> um, and if by filling out this survey um, we'll be able to gather that insights that all of Adelaide is telling us um, to be able to generate that new knowledge
2: So if they go onto the web and just type in soilecology.org
4: That's it it's as easy as that so oh, well, please we really would love to hear from folks to um, share their insights so we can um, Better, better support our communities in the ways that they might wish to.
2: We'll also put that information and in a short summary of what you are about, uh, Hannah, in this week's Good Gardening, or in next week's Good Gardening newsletter.
4: Oh, fabulous. Yes, that would be great because I'm already excited for next year when we can share the insights uh, from the survey results. It would be great.
1: Good on you, Hannah. Thanks so much for being part of the program. And uh, you know t- you can participate in the survey yourself, Hannah, a PhD student at Adelaide Uni researching people's attitudes to urban agriculture. Colette has texted in to say that uh, she's participated in Hannah's survey and as a disabled gardener, it is a great inclusive survey. She encourages everyone to do it. And uh, that is something to be mindful of, uh, isn't it? There are people of all capabilities uh, that love gardening and uh, you want everyone to be able to participate equally.
2: Yes, and I'm sure this is one of the outcomes from the survey, that fact that there is a need uh, to facilitate so that people that used to garden want to continue gardening, but they can't, not just because of lack of space, but because of uh, the physical problems and things like that. And how, it's what what's the need, and then how do you fix up and, and uh, satisfy that need? And I think they're some of the most valuable things that's going to come out of it. And I'd also so be uh, interested to know how people uh, react to, to uh, urban agriculture and, and the ecology of of joining people with plants and the critters that survive on those craters yes
1: critters. yes yeah. we were only talking earlier this morning to the mayor of Campbelltown Jill Whitaker, about um, Thorndon Park and uh, you know what is available there for kids there's a brand new playground that's being um, opened on Friday but she was talking about how people in her community live these days and how it's distinctly different to the years gone by where people may not have the size gardens that they had in the past uh, if they have a garden at all and so some of these uh, places where people can you know come together are becoming even more important
2: yes and i think you have gardens to look at you have gardens to eat but also uh, what is coming through is gardens for people to interact with and, and interact with nature and that's a tremendous thing i think we're about to run out of time so uh, next week we talk a little bit about uh, christmas suggestions and presents to give but until next week i'll say good gardening